Welcome to The Compassionate Life with Dr. Brittany King. In this hour, you'll hear stories about kindness, selflessness, and of course, compassion. The hope is that you'll be inspired to create some compassionate moments of your very own. Now, here is Dr. Brittany King. Hi, thanks for joining us this week on The Compassionate Life. I'm Dr. King, and this is the Empowerment Channel on Voice America. This week, we get to hear from a very special guest, Nicole Forsyth. She is the president and CEO of Red Rover, which Red Rover is a 501c3. It's actually a national nonprofit based in Sacramento, California. They're absolutely incredible. We're going to hear all about them today and the programs they offer. Just a little background, they have distributed over $40,000 in grant funds to seven domestic violence shelters throughout the U.S., um, and this helps to create pet-friendly lodging to house victims' pets. And that's one of our topics today we'll be discussing. But um, the mission of Red Rover is to bring animals out of crisis and strengthen the bond between people and animals through emergency sheltering, disaster relief services, financial assistance, and education. It does accomplish its mission by engaging volunteers and supporters, collaborating with um, lots of different avenues. And um, their specific programs that they have, which we'll talk about um, today, are Red Rover Relief, Red Rover Responders, Red Rover Readers. You say that fast, like three times in a row. (laughs) Um, But uh, thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us um, today and sharing your your wisdom and, and taking the time to tell us all about Red Rover. So welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, thanks. Um, so I guess we'll, you know, get going. Um, how long has Red Rover been in existence? And I know it had kind of a name change there, too. Yes, we have been around. Next year will be our 30th anniversary, so we're very excited about that. have lots of great stuff planned. And we changed our name back in 2011, so in some ways we've been reinventing ourselves for sure. Wow. No, 30 years is actually a really long time. And I know um, my very first interview was with uh, Diane McGill, our mutual friend of Pet Peace of Mind out of Oregon. And it's um, it's a lot to, to house a, a, a nonprofit for, to get it going from grassroots up and then to keep it going for that many years. So congratulations sure. on the 30 Thank years. You. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're very excited. It's a really fun time to kind of reflect on your history and also really figure out how that history is going to drive you into the future. So it's it's a lot of um, fun for the staff to really explore where we've come from and where we're going. It's great. Uh, that's good. Um, who founded Red Rover? It was founded um, by Belton Morris, um, and he really kind of set the stage for a lot of our, um, some of our, one of our most important values, which is collaborating with others. He was so big on bringing other animal groups together and really help them figure out their differences and find common ground and look for ways to work together. So we've we've definitely carried that tradition throughout the history, although our programs are very different and much more focused than they were from the beginning. Right. Yeah, as it kind of evolved throughout all the needs of, of just society, really, in the, in yeah, the groups. It was, definitely. It was very broad originally, and then we started to narrow in on exactly where we could be super effective, and, and that's the model we like to use today. That's um, that's really uh, well inspiring. Um, so, how did you get involved with Red Rover and your start? And how how long have you been CEO? 
Yes, I've been here 10 years, which is amazing. It went by so fast. <laughs> it feels like it's just been, it was just yesterday. But I started off doing fundraising for a local um, animal shelter here, Plaster SPCA, that's um, just outside of Sacramento. And between that and um, a graduate program that I was in at UC Davis that was focusing on animal welfare, I was really connecting with a lot of animal people and a lot of animal groups in this area. And then as soon as the opportunity came up to work for Red Rover, which was a different name at the time, but I just jumped on it. I was, I was so excited. Yeah, and so I've been here ever since. It's like it's meant to be. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. It just kind of fell into my lap. <laughs> I never really had um, a vision to be a CEO. I, I just kind of, you know, I, was, I thought I would do more pro, hands-on program work. And then the previous um, CEO, when I applied to come here, she was like, wait a minute, you should do my job. <laughs> so she was planning on leaving, and the timing couldn't have been perfect. And it took me a while to kind of convince myself that it was something I can do. And then once I thought about it, I said, hey, why not? And um, I'm really glad I did because it's just brought back and you know, brought together so many of my different experiences and um, passions, and I've been able to just drive the organization to where it needs to go, and it's been amazing. That's 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 awesome, and how you just take an opportunity, and when it presents, I, I mean, I really feel so much of of life is about taking those opportunities when they come to you, um, and that's, I mean, you did, and, and you're making a huge impact for um, people and animals. I know, I've mentioned many times. Obviously, I'm a veterinarian, but. Uh, what you're doing for, um, you know, bringing exactly what your mission statement is, uh, strengthening that bond between people and animals through the various programs is is huge. I think our society has evolved so much over the last couple of decades as far as really appreciating what animals and the support and and that bond exactly is and does for us as a as a you know as a just as a society. So yeah, um, very true. And we really um, have come to a, a full circle model where we still are really looking to help animals that are in that immediate crisis, you know, something that might happen, whether it's a natural disaster and, and people have been um, displaced and they don't know what to do with their, with their animals or pets, um, or just the domestic violence that we'll talk about later. Anytime someone is in an immediate crisis where that human-animal bond is threatened, you know, we really want to just jump in and help right then. But then we're really looking at well, how can those crises be prevented and um, the role that empathy plays in that human-animal bond and preventing neglect and preventing crises. So it's um, it's been a nice evolution to really still kind of come from our tradition, which was helping animals in crisis, but then also really stretching that forward and thinking about what you know what's the root cause of a lot of um, these animal crises that we're responding to and, and how can we prevent it. So it's been a really exciting growth to see, and I, I think you're you're right that the the world of, of animal welfare is really evolving. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's true and, and really important, uh, more of a proactive. So, I mean, yes, you're you know volunteer organization and, and giving back, but also being proactive about, like you said, preventing those causes versus just reactive. Um, I think that's that's super important. Um, why don't we talk a little bit um, about each one of the programs we could start with? I know um, I want to save like readers and the safe one for a little bit later, but um, can you explain what Red Rover Relief and then Red Rover Responders are specifically? Sure, yeah, and I can start with Red Rover Responders because we're actually just fitting, finishing up um, a deployment to in North Carolina. So we, we go and help communities 
temporarily shelter animals, you know, a large number of animals, whenever there's some sort of situation that the local community becomes overwhelmed with. So it could be a natural disaster. It could be a criminal seizure case. So sometimes these are do- involving dog fighting, um, puppy mill seizures, suspected puppy mill seizures, um, hoarding cases. So right now we're, we're helping 150 animals that were rescued from a suspected puppy mill in North Carolina. And we wow. send volunteers from all over the area, usually as close as we can get, um, to help out. And it's amazing because these volunteers, you know, they don't get paid for this. They get some reimbursement for travel if we can. Um, but they take vacation days. They go and they're basically doing pretty hard physical labor um, just because of their love for animals. And also the ability to connect with like-minded people, which I think really makes it a valuable experience. So... They go to these particular shelters. They're cleaning cages. They're setting up cages. They're, um, you know, scooping poop. It's not really a very glamorous job, but they do it, and they sign up to do it, and it's just really, really amazing. Um, So they're just finishing that up right now. Um, And then, uh, let's see, Red Rover Relief, um, that program houses a bunch of different programs where we're helping individual animals that are in immediate crisis. So it could be a veterinary emergency. So we help low-income individuals who find themselves in a situation where their dog or cat or you know, other kinds of small animals might be euthanized because they don't have the money to pay for the emergency care. Um, so we, were, we work directly with the veterinary offices, office, sorry, <laughs> offices, um, and really try to figure out um, how we can reduce the cost um, you know, right. Do whatever we need to do to help them get a payment plan set up. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. we're helping clients you know, renegotiate costs or look for um, an estimate somewhere else. So we kind of call our staff case managers because they're really, really helping someone, um, not just with the financial end of it, but really try to figure out what can they do, you know, what are their options. So our staff are these incredibly empathetic people who, you know, there's no judgment because sometimes a lot of the people who call us, these could be prevented. Um, you know, Pyometra is a perfect example. They, they could have prevented something um, from spaying, you know, spaying or neutering their mm-hmm. animal, but they, they didn't know this. And when they call us, they're just getting someone to listen to them. So they call in and they're kind of desperate. Usually they're pretty upset. Um, and we just listen as much as we can, you know, get them quickly to the resources they need to get whatever needs to happen happening. Um, and, you know, one of the things we hear from these people so much is that they just, they haven't had a response like this from anyone in their life. You know, it's more of a, oh my um, gosh, you know, people around me are saying I shouldn't even spend this money. You know, they don't understand that this person, this, this pet is a member of my family. Um, so they're, mm-hmm. they're not really getting a lot of support. Um, and so calling us sometimes is the first piece of hope they've felt. Um, and you know, even though we're not giving a large amount of money, what we provide to these people is just, it really is um, life-changing for a lot of these people. So that's definitely one of our favorite things to see happen. <laughs> well, I mean, and it life-changing for, so we'll back up real quick for our listeners. Pyometra is a, a pus-filled uterus, basically an infection um, from not spaying your pets. When they get older, the females, they potentially can get this infection and it is um, a life-threatening emergency. They will die if they do not have an emergency ovarohysterectomy or spay. So, um, and that is a, a good example of, of, Right. So someone that, I mean, maybe they didn't have the resource to get the pet spayed or didn't know the knowledge behind it, but then you're, I mean, that's, it's really humbling to hear though that, you know, your for one, your volunteers are going out there and they, like you mentioned earlier, they're not doing the glamorous work. I mean, they really are, 
100% volunteer. They're taking vacation days, potentially. I mean, um, and and being able to go and, and help where the help is needed without judging. Um, and it does take a lot for a person to call and look for resources, not just give up and resign, but look for the resources, contact you, and then equally, I mean, you're it may, you may be finding the solution. You may be providing so much more than, I mean, than they even realize, too. I mean, you're providing the emotional support, like you said, that they haven't had. And that's, um, I mean, that's a lot of, it's a lot of my profession, too. I mean, we have, we have the gold standard. We have option A, that can cl- include X amount of care and X amount of dollars. Then we have option B. We have option C. We have, we have options. Um, mm-hmm. But, but monetarily being able to provide that for those, those people that need that help is, um, it's incredible, actually. So, um, well, we are actually due for a quick little break, um, about two minutes, and we'll be right back. We just talked about Red Rover Le- Relief and Red Rover Responders. Um, I'm speaking with Nicole Forsyth, the president and CEO of Red Rover, and we'll be back after this quick break. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to The Compassionate Life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. back for those just joining us and um, we're speaking with nicole forsyth of red rover now national nonprofit organization based out of california and um, we were just covering the different programs red rover has to offer including responders and relief um we're going to talk about red rover readers here in a little bit but um wanted to ask you nicole about so the the best way for people who are looking for um you know, help through Red Rover Relief, how would that be? Would that be online or phone calls or how, what's the process like for them? 
Yeah, we definitely direct people online just to, it makes it go much, much faster. I think sometimes people feel like calling is the fastest way, but we have a really quick turnaround for online applications. Um, so we just encourage people to go directly to our website, which is redrover.org, and click on the Red Rover Relief Program, and that directs people to the different um, grant opportunities that we have. Okay. And the website, um, I, I think we talked before about what's really nice and sets your organization apart is the rapid response time. Um, how, how soon can people, I mean, people look to hearing back and, and getting an answer? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's the same day, you know, depending on what time of day it is um, and how busy we are. But we try to respond, you know, within 24 hours. Um, if it's a weekend, it's usually going to be at the Monday. But um, it's, it's usually pretty quick. And so if people do their online application, um, and then they'll typically hear back from us pretty soon with an, with an, an email response. So how many board members are, are manning that, or what does the, the oversight look like for organization of um, how many people you have that, you know, that work full-time to be able to respond to those requests? Because I'm sure they come in in, you know, volumes. For sure, yeah. We have 15 staff members, and some of those are part-time. And we have three people who work um, on the Red Rover Relief Program, although not full-time. We kind of break up case management with the other program work because it is um, – as you know, being compassionate is a difficult job, and so yeah. we don't want people to burn out. So we, we kind of break it up. Yeah, that's true. Compassion fatigue. I mean, that's something we talk about a lot in the veterinary field. Not from a sad standpoint, but it yeah. it's kind of a natural process. Um, there's so much that you see out there that you you want to help, and and some of your hands can be tied, and you your emotions can get really involved in all of it. Um, yeah, but, and that's another area we're really trying to um, help the animal welfare movement is on compassion resilience. We've sort of taken that compassion fatigue um, model and flipped it a bit, and we, we call it compassion resilience. So we've been um, developing resources, and, and hopefully we'll be unveiling some, some more resources that will help even further to kind of help people um, build up their compassion resilience. Huh. That's, in, that's actually interesting. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, well, why don't we talk a little bit about Red Rover readers? Um, and there's a new model um, that you had engaged uh, as far as empathy goes. Um, can you tell us more about that part of, of Red Rover? Sure. Well, when we were looking at developing a new program, we wanted to develop an education component that would address prevention of, of cruelty and neglect. So we were looking at, you know, what, what, are the, what is the research out there that shows, you, you know, where you could prevent violence or prevent um, cruelty? And it turns out empathy is really a key. So being able to think from someone else's perspective, being able to actually share an emotional state with another person or an animal is really critical to preventing um, abuse or violence. So we developed a program called the Red Rover Readers that works with schools. We train teachers um, how to use this particular curriculum curriculum to help kids understand animal behavior because if you can't understand animal behavior, you really have a hard time understanding their perspective. Um, so we teach kids animal behavior, and then we also give them an opportunity to practice empathy skills. So there's various kind of um, both... Um, you know, various components of empathy, and if we can get kids to sort of break those down and work on them, work on them one piece at a time, they really can learn empathy. I think there's been a lot of debate over whether that's something you can learn, whether you just have it or you don't, and there's, it's pretty clear now that you can develop it, so that's what we're, we're working on. And it's literature-based, so it fits in really nicely with schools. Um, it aligns to 
content standards that schools already have to do, Common Core. Um, so, and it's books, so who doesn't love books? So there's stories about animals, um, usually showing a human and an animal bond. Mm-hmm. And it's a model for how, a positive relationship. So it helps kids really kind of come to their own conclusion about how they think about animals and how they perceive this relationship. And it gets them to really think critically about how they would treat animals if they were in this situation. And, you know, narratives are so powerful. That's what we've, we've really discovered. If, if kids have a model in their head through a story of what a really positive relationship could look like, um, for example, between a, a boy and a dog, then they have that choice. So if they are in a family situation where there's dog fighting going on and they don't really have any other narrative. All they know in their life is dog fighting, that, that animals are used um, for, for dog fighting. But if they go in through this program, they now have a different model in their head to compete against the existing one. They can see this relationship between a boy and a dog that's different, that's positive, that's a friendship, um, and, and understand what that looks like. And then they have a better ability to choose. They can say, I can either choose the dog fighting model or I can choose to be friends with a dog. And when they see all the values uh, that bring, you know, that come about from that relationship, not to mention when they hear their peers talk about those positive relationships, it really does get them. It challenges their thinking. It challenges that pre-existing story um, about the model of a a boy and a dog dog fighting. Um, And, you know, the other things we've really learned about doing this program in schools, kids really don't have an opportunity to talk about animal relationships in their lives. And, and for the most part, adults don't either. It's not something we constantly no. talk about, um, right. which is sort of strange because they're really important to people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yet you don't see a lot of it unless it's maybe through people's Facebook pages or something. Um, yep. But you don't really get to, to share those relationships very often. And the kids really, really want to share them. Even if they don't have animals in their homes, they love talking about animals. They're just almost innately fascinated by this otherness um, of animals. And so the teachers tell us they're, they've learned so much about their students because they really open up when they can share what's happening in their lives when it comes to animals. So it's, it's been remarkable to see, and, and we're really hoping to spread this into more and more schools. No, I mean, that's honestly, that's absolutely incredible. Um, I feel like well, I went a little bit to um, private school through about sixth grade or so, and the, kind of the only real, like you said, mention of where you're, you're bringing animals into is maybe blessing of the animals on St. Francis of Assisi Day. You know what I mean? Where yeah. there, you don't get that um, chance to um, it will even share like emotions through that otherness or um, you know, whether it's a, I mean, even just them being able to bond and they, they do get excited about it. I, I can't tell you how many times in my exam rooms I let the, I, I get a ton of families that will come in and, and being in a, in a private clinic, we get to know the families and learn what the kids are going through and the soccer matches and the swim meets and the, um, and I will almost always have, you know, the child in the room ask them if they would like to listen to their pet's stethoscope or listen to their pet's heart with my stethoscope or do they, are they, is this their puppy? Are they listening to, you know, are they responsible for feeding Fluffy or, or taking Fluffy on walks and just getting like the family involved. Um, I used to work in the past with Banfield and um, many, many summers volunteered for the Houston Children's Museum where we did the what it's like to be a vet, um, but it really became more of like um, 
uh, kind of just preventative care and like teaching families how to be responsible pet ownership, not necessarily like steering them into the veterinary career. But um, it's a that's an incredible program with Red Rover readers. How widespread is that? I mean, how do you go about do you approach the schools individually or is it a teacher that has to have heard about it and maybe become passionate about it and taken it back and asked for it to be within their school or I mean, I feel I honestly feel like every program, every elementary school and more should have that this program. I know we're, we're our goal is every third and fourth grade classroom in the country, but it's pretty ambitious. So we're, we're far from that. Um, yeah, so far we, we do offer the um, an online class. So any teacher who is interested can sign up and there is one coming up um, pretty soon here. So people can go to our website, redrover.org and our go to the Red Rover Readers Program and learn about that online class that's coming up. Um, and then we are focusing a little bit more intensively community by community now because we think that the model of getting a whole school to adopt it um, might be a little bit more uh, sustainable. It might, it might carry on further once we've trained the whole school. They're more likely to kind of share resources and talk about it and, and have it continue. So in the Sacramento area, we have our first full school that's adopted it, and the oh. um, entire city of the Sacramento City District School District is now looking at how they can train all their teachers. So we're definitely getting there, but it's been slow. Um, we did develop a um, an app, an ebook app, that sort of kickstarted a bit and see if we could get more people to learn about it through having this an app that would be easy to download. So on iTunes and Google Play, people can download um, an ebook app called The Restricted Adventures of Raja. And this gives people a sense of what the program is like. Um, it's in Spanish and English, which is really fun. And the Spanish version actually has text to audio. So it's a great way to practice in Spanish if that's what you're <laughs> looking to do. Um, and it's really fun. It's, it's designed as a graphic novel. It's designed to really help um, attract kids who maybe wouldn't necessarily want to read a book about animals. Maybe they don't like cats and they come across this because it looks fun. Um, and lo and behold, they're kind of being taught empathy for animals without really knowing it. So, um, And then there's That's a game that goes awesome. with it, too, so they can practice the skills that they've learned um, through, the, through the book. And you're instrumental in this. I mean, you developed this program, right? Yeah, well, I was a teacher in, my, in a previous career. <laughs> um, I actually taught middle school and also did some, some other grades. And so it really brings together all my passions. Um, I love education, and I clearly love animals. And <laughs> empathy is kind of my thing now. So for mm-hmm. me, this project has been huge. And um, I wrote the book with the help of a story editor. Um, and so I've been kind of uh, pretty much full-time working on that project <laughs> Um, for a while now, and, and now we're working on book two because it's a five-book series, so it's pretty fun. That's awesome. I mean, well, seriously, congratulations, but that's, um, you're doing wonderful things. That's that's really incredible, and I, you know, back on the, you know, like a, a kid may not like a, a cat or whatnot, there's a lot of different cultural beliefs, too, and, and America, we're, we're filled with so many different cultures and different um uh, I guess feelings towards animals or pets in the home or pets in general or is a pet a pet or is a pet a working animal and all of that I mean with that base root of exactly what you've brought to the table empathy and that's um, and then seeing what an animal can do when it becomes a pet and you can have that human animal bond um, so that's awesome I can't wait to um, see well <laughs> what you do in the future but each of the new coming uh, upcoming books too so um 
It's been well, great. And we have that same we have that same non judgmental approach, you know, when we do the Red Rover Readers program, which I think is also really effective because mm-hmm. the kids don't feel you know, they really are open with us. They don't we don't um judge any of their current attitudes about animals. You know, they'll tell us they throw rocks at cats, they tell us they do this and that and and the job for the facilitator, for the teacher that gets trained, is just to listen and then ask questions so that they can kind of challenge their own thinking. Because um, mm-hmm. we know what it's like when someone tells us, you know, don't do that. <laughs> That's horrible. Right. The, the tendency is just to push that person away. It doesn't really yep. change behavior and attitudes. So um, oh. we're, we're effectively changing attitudes. And we've got kids telling us that they um, used to throw rocks at cats. And, and once they learned that cats actually are afraid of them when they do that and show fear and they can kind of empathize with that fear, they just they stop. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. That's awesome. Wow. Um, we, uh, we're due for another quick break. So um, when we get back, we actually will get to hear from a guest, hopefully, um, too. Um, but thank you for listening. We'll be right back speaking with Nicole Forsyth and Red Rover. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Women in sport has come a long way in a reasonably short time. In the 1950s, most women's sport was casual, recreational competition, followed by snacks or a light lunch. Today, women's sport is competitive, powerful, and in the mainstream. Whether it's collegiate, Olympics, or professional leagues, tune in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up, where you'll discover the path that women's sport has taken over the past 50 years and more. Featuring your host, Carol A. Oglesby. Listen Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America empowerment follow us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment you are listening to the compassionate life to reach dr Brittany king or her guest today please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com now back to the show back. Thanks for joining us again for the second half of our hour. Um, We are fortunate enough to get to speak with Nicole Forsyth and Red Rover Organization. We are not speaking in pet, but we are speaking um, actually about Well, most specifically, Red Rover readers we just touched base on. um, And we have a guest, Sarah Kesty, who's calling in from California. And she's a volunteer that has um, not only she a teacher herself, but she's volunteered with Red Rover readers. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for calling. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, So what has your experience been with Red Rover readers? Like uh, when and how often do you volunteer with them? Um, I feel like I'm kind of volunteering 24-7 because I'm always advocating and um, 
you know, speaking out and anytime there's an opportunity in my work, I get to promote Red Rover readers. Um, but so far as the reading and those specific strategies, um, it depends on my schedule. Usually I'm able to do at least a couple books a week. Um, and then, you know, during busier times like state testing and stuff, we kind of lose our, <laughs> our opportunity. But, um, yeah, it's usually yeah. a couple times a week. And then a lot of the times I'm empowering teachers through that modeling. So I know that they're taking those strategies beyond what I do. Oh, that's good. No, I mean, just being an advocate for it and the knowledge, helping to spread the awareness, too. Um, do you specifically use the the ebooks or that um, that new app that um, that Nicole had launched? I do, yeah. So I was lucky enough since I've volunteered so long to um, have a couple of trial um, codes so that I loaded them onto iPads in the special education classes that I work in. And um, just as a side spinoff, you know, um, empathy is something that students with autism really struggle with. And so it was a really cool opportunity for me to kind of blend both my passions since I'm a special educator to get the um, empathy development in a fun and engaging way. And um, even students with special needs, you know, they're just naturally drawn to animals, like Nicole says. So it's really a way to open up and uh, fill in some of those skill deficits without being too preachy or, you know, just another one of those boxed, boxed programs that are social skills in a box. This is more like organic and um, so I know it's going to last longer. That's impressive. I mean, that's actually a, another good aspect and point that, I mean, personally, I honestly hadn't thought of, but um, being able to take a program and it become universal and it transcend, I mean, different um, levels, I mean, it, well, the special needs children and um, that it's actually making an impact there. That's incredible. Um would you like to share any specific story that's been impactful for you, um, you know, through your, your work with Red Rover readers? Yeah, um, and I've had so many. So this is kind of one that resonates a lot, but it's not necessarily um, the only one. Um, I had a student who was a second grader with me, and we read Buddy and Change, which is one of the books that um, Red Rover Readers has in their collection. And when it was all over, entirely unprompted, we hadn't even talked about, um, like, labeling behaviors as bullying or anything like that. And he said, you know, I noticed that sometimes the kids were bullies to the younger um, kid in the book, and this was... Not necessarily the crux of the book, but it must have been something that resonated with him and just the open nature of Red Rover Readers really empowered him to connect with what he needed most at the time. And he said, you know, I noticed that this little boy is being bullied and I, I kind of bully my little brother sometimes and so mm. I think I need to be a better brother. I want to be a better brother and it was really cool to see that that came from mm. him. That was nothing like preaching or whining or us nagging him, you know. It was something that he recognized from the way that we had constructed that reading experience. And he walked away with a plan. And um, 
and, you know, he was seven at the time, so nothing's going to be perfect. But, you know, just laying those foundational skills of, like, we can empower kids to see the effects of their actions and then also empower them to know that they can they can change. They can become better. They can be inspired and think for themselves. And it was just so powerful within, like, a 20-minute lesson. To, and his mom happened to be there, so she got to see that. And um, at the very end, he said, I think we should make kindness go viral. <laughs> and I thought, man, this is perfect. That's like my new hashtag. <laughs> I was just going to say, Sarah, I think we might steal that. <laughs> that is wonderful. Go for viral. Let's make kindness go viral. Wasn't that amazing? And that was all no, just from, you know, my being a listener and allowing kids to think and really um, constructing my lesson so that it wasn't, me-driven, but it was very much constructed and supported to get to the place I wanted them to, but um, it's just, it's real magic. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's honestly incredible. I mean, that is, it is magic. I mean, it's, we are just speaking about that. I don't know if you heard it or not, but how it's non-judgmental and the programs are set up. I mean, you're teaching these skills, but the children, the individuals are coming to that conclusion themselves and then planting the seed and wanting to change if, you know, if the change is needed or just recognizing just the education around it all is, it's, it's awesome. Um, I don't have very mm-hmm. many other words to say for it, but that's, that's incredible. Um, like you said, kindness go viral and, and the younger we start, the better. I mean, having this in those elementary schools, um, and that's, you know, and that's self-recognition. I mean, that's a big skill that adults take a long time to even develop. Right. Recognize you're, you're faulty at something or you want to change or something's just not quite right, quite amiss. Um, and how recognizing and then wanting to change it. So that's, that's, that's powerful. That's really, that's really awesome. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I don't know if I you want to. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, if you didn't, if you wanted to add anything else, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I was right on track. Um, <laughs> I think something that Nicole has talked to me about before, too, is just that we're getting in there and we're allowing kids to really evaluate their narratives of the world and look around and say, you know, is this right? Is this really what I believe? And I think, well, I I bet that every generation says, especially now, but... I think, especially now, it's just so important for kids to be able to think critically and look around and say, you know what, I don't agree with this, and I'm going to stand up for, you know, whatever particular cause that they feel passionate about. And um, it's it, it's been amazing to listen to how the words they choose reflect where they're coming from and how if we allow them to examine that and kind of experience other things that they can start questioning things and not take um, maybe like animal abuse as an example as like just a fact of life, you know, because in, in some cases that's just what they assume. And so it's, it's really powerful to give them those tools because beyond what we're directly exposing them to, if they have that critical eye, they're going to be much better, more compassionate citizens when they're older. Yeah, I mean, all around. I mean, we're we're upcoming on election season. We're here. I mean, obviously, but um, I don't know. We need we need a we need a shift. We need a change with the new generation. So um, 
man, I don't know. I, Nicole, maybe you can answer this. Are is there are the programs are is Red Rover Readers in Texas? I mean, that's where I am. Yes, actually, there's um, some, there's a professor who lives close to the border down mm-hmm. south, and she works with a teaching program. And, and they actually train the teachers coming right out of um, teaching education. Um, so that's been a fantastic program. She's actually a volunteer trainer. So Wonderful. we trained her. So it's one of those train-the-trainer models. And so she um, has been training a lot of teachers down there. So we do have a lot of teachers hopefully spreading out throughout the state down there. But it's hard to know for sure who's using it. We're hoping they are because it usually, right. um, usually changes people's perception of teaching. If they've been teaching for a mm-hmm. long time, sometimes they're, they, it completely changes their philosophy, which is also pretty amazing to see. And then for those newer teachers who are just starting off, we usually hear, whoa, why didn't I hear about this before? This, this totally makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So that's also really exciting to hear. No, I mean, and even um, one of my um, interviewees, like back uh, you know, earlier in the, in the program series, uh, was with. Um, I mean, I do a Faithful Paws, so it's just a local volunteer organization with our pets, and we go to nursing homes. And but we actually do a library kids read um, every Saturday, and they're kind of based all throughout the Houston area. But even um, those reads, and then spreading it, I mean, just word of mouth and spreading it. But I feel you, you, we need a go-to point person in every state, <laughs> and then I know. Um, I mean, we're definitely trying to figure out how to spread it. We're trying to powerful. come up with a good model for it. <laughs> Well, I will promote it. I'm definitely going to take this to Faithful Paws for sure. Um, one of my okay. absolute favorite volunteer uh, Saturdays is when we go and you just bring your pet, sometimes in costume, and we read kids want to come and the, the teachers love it and the librarians love it, but the kids come and they don't feel judged by their parents or their teachers or adults and they read to the dogs, but bringing that program, the, the Red Rover readers too, it would be Awesome. So, mm-hmm. well, I will look into that for sure. Yeah. We'll keep talking. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us. Actually, we are due for another quick break here. So that little segment went quickly. Um, thanks for your insight and your story. That was inspirational, um, both of you, um, for all that you do for Red Rover and your volunteerism. And we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. 
Star Style Be the Star You Are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to The Compassionate Life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, thanks. We're back for our very last segment. I'm speaking with Red Rover, a national nonprofit, um, and Nicole Forsyth, the president and CEO of Red Rover. And we're going to talk about um, their last program, which focuses on um, the, October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and um, they have a program called Safe Housing Program. And um, this actually strings a chord, or strings a chord with my own heart. Um, I was a victim of domestic violence, well, victim slash survivor, as the language has changed, but very recently, and um, not going to mention any more specifics about it as criminal trial is still pending. But um, I never had truly thought about what it means to, well, one, for how many women domestic violence actually affects, but then what does it mean for the other family members, the, you know, the children, but um, the furry family members, the ones without a voice and how that human animal bond is so strong and how that affects um, women in domestic violence and, and their options for uh, safe recovery and being able to leave with, with their pets. So um, Nicole's going to tell us about their safe housing program. Thank you, Nicole, for speaking about the last kind of sector of, of Red Rover as it, it really does mean a lot to me and, and especially with this month being the time topic. Sure, and I'm so sorry that you had to go through this kind of stuff. I, I've, I've heard lots of stories, and it's, um, it is definitely a bigger issue than I think a lot of people are, are aware of. And pets play a really pivotal role in this issue because so many people have pets, and a lot of times um, these, the victims of the domestic violence won't leave their situation because of the pets. They're sometimes used in manipulative tactics, um, sometimes even threatened. Um, their own the, the safety of the pets are also threatened. Um, so sometimes they just simply won't leave. Um, the other situation that happens is if they do decide to leave, very, very few shelters, family violence shelters or um, domestic violence shelters will house pets. So this is definitely a critical issue and one of those crisis situations that we want to help in. So safe housing, we actually provide grants for shelters that want to build on-site facilities for pets. So this is a growing interest. Uh, we're getting a lot more applications every year, so that's the good news. Um, and people who are interested in this can go to our website, redrover.org, and go to the, re- the relief program houses all of our grants. So the Safe Housing Grant Program is where people would want to turn to. And there's a ton of other resources 
for these shelters because there are a lot of questions we get about liability of having pets, allergies, you know, there's tons of questions that have to be answered. But we have a manual that um, this woman, Allie Phillips, who works a lot in this area, has put together. And so we share that manual. And the manual covers every question a shelter, you know, staff could have. And so that's a great place to start. But if a, a particular shelter is not ready to do that. We also have another grant program that's for more immediate emergencies, and that's called Safe Escape, and that provides temporary boarding to um, people who are trying to leave, um, but there's no place to go. And so those Safe Escape grants help with the boarding costs for up to a month so someone can try to figure out a situation and safely escape with their, with their pet. We also have a website called Safe Place for Pets, and that um, is a great resource for people who are just trying to figure out what the resources are in their area. So if they're trying to escape their situation, they can search by zip code and look for what resources might be available. And sometimes shelters will have, um, they'll actually work with an animal shelter and partner with an animal shelter, or they'll have foster foster mm-hmm. placements or, you know, agreements with various organizations in their community. So there are a few other options there. But for us, the ideal would be for domestic violence shelters to house on site because the the bond, as we've been talking about, is so important between people and animals. And there's also some new research that suggests that um, if a survivor leaves with an animal, with her pet, or, uh, they're much less likely to go back. So having that bond clearly has a healing effect as well. I mean, that's incredible. And it, it, Absolutely. So true. Um, I can't tell you how instrumental my pet has been throughout this process. Um, And being able to, I mean, I don't think there are a lot of shelters that have programs set up for pets because, again, it's about awareness and educating the public and and the, you know, the, the full spectrum of it and how we can get more every domestic violence shelter in my opinion absolutely every single one 100% should have an option for pets um whether they partner with the local SPCA or they partner with private clinics I mean I know my you know a lot of a lot of clinic private owner clinics would be willing to especially since the veterinary profession is 85% female that's another side of it that we're very empathetic um you know I guess we have an empathetic role there. So that's, um, I mean, and, and the, you know, the emergency side of things too. I mean, it really is, um, it's about spreading the word. That's, it's relieving. Um, and I, I, I believe, I, I completely believe and agree with that new research that, I mean, I think more and more we're going to hear stories of this, not just in domestic violence, but I mean, with the read, with um, people with disabilities, with pets play a vital role. I mean, in, in uh, just, you don't have to, <laughs> they don't have to speak. <laughs> you know, it's that bond. It's um, so important. And you and the program since the program began, Red Rover has given one hundred and ninety three thousand dollars to almost fifty shelters. Is that right? Yes, and it just grows each year. We each year we we expand our budget, and we're hoping we'll do the same next year um, to try to meet up meet the demand. You know, as we educate more and more shelters about this opportunity, it takes them a while. You know, because there's a lot of things they mm-hmm. have to consider, but um, we want to make sure that we put resources towards growing that as. As they're ready to do this, so hopefully we'll see more next year. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, again, I'll be an advocate for that one too. So, <laughs> um, well, I, 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 a few more questions there. How, I mean, how does Red Rover, how do you raise funds? How, I mean, all of, all of the support that you offer and volunteerism, how do you raise funds? Um, you know, are there just private donations, just spread of, of word? Do you hold a lot of fundraisers? Um, where do, where do the, where does the fundraising come from? Yeah, it's all almost all individual donations. Um, we don't get any government funding, um, and we do some private foundations as well, but majority individuals who are just super compassionate, wonderful people. Um, we really push monthly giving because it's a really efficient, saves paper, saves people a lot, of, a lot of hassle. So monthly donations are the best, and people can go to our website, redrover.org, if they want to find out how to start donating monthly, um, you know, as low as $5 a month can make a huge difference in both animals and, and people's lives. That's, yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's easy for people, too, um, with the with just the monthly side of things. And the, you're also able to be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and then the website, yeah. too. Correct? Yeah, another yeah. great way to, to help out is just to share, um, spread the word, help share so that we can grow our programs and we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and it can, we can be searched under Red Rover Org, um, Red Rover ORG, and um, definitely encourage people to do that as well. It's wonderful. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, I will be doing that for sure. Um, So Sarah had shared her kind of most inspirational or touching story throughout her volunteerism with Red Rover. Do you have um, any specific uh, memorable story or and or inspirational kind of piece of advice for listeners? Oh, gosh, there's so many stories. Um, I would know. I'm joking. Like, do you have one? (laughs) I was was thinking about that too, and I I had time, and it's like there's so many. Um, But I I would say, you know, my I mentioned before about compassion resilience, and because the show is the compassionate life, I I would say in terms of advice, you know, that people really, um, when someone has this kind of empathy they have to take care of themselves too. So all the listeners, I would say, you know, compassion starts with being compassionate with yourself and really reach out for support. Find ways to build healthy connections with others in your community because that's that's really the way to, to build compassion and to spread it. Um, and I would say probably uh, as far as the most powerful story, oh, it's kind of a tie between a survivor story that I heard with DV and... Um, a veteran, so I guess I'll start with a veteran if we have time to do the other one. Um, so there's a veteran, a very young veteran named Michael, and he um, had post-traumatic stress disorder after coming back from, I believe it was Iraq. And, you know, he was suicidal and just devastated, and a friend of his reached out and um, hooked him up with a service dog who was a, a pit bull named Bane. And he really was resistant at first. You know, he just didn't think it was going to help and was pretty despondent still and hadn't made a connection with the dog yet. But the dog was in his house. Um, and he actually uh, went to, he, he was going to commit suicide. And um, the dog literally late, he was going to like, apparently do something with a knife. Um, and the dog, his dog Bane, laid right on top of this knife and would not get up. Oh, and this... Um, this young man, you know, this, the dog had, it was really well trained because it was a service dog that was trained to help victims of post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is the kind of dog that would do exactly what you said. Um, and a very well-trained um, pit bull can be amazing, amazing companions, and they really, really want to please their um, people. So 
this dog never did something like this. He would not get up. Um, and when the, when Michael saw that, he just broke down. And from that moment on, he was basically connected to this dog and felt like he finally had a friend who really could listen to him. And so that the, the bond, he tells a story. We have, we have a video somewhere in our video library if anyone wants to see it. But he tells a story, and it just breaks your heart because he realized just how critical uh, connecting with others is. But for a lot of people, connecting with a pet is really their only option. They're having such difficulties in their life that they can't connect with a person or they're having a really hard time. And so mm-hmm. pets provide that unconditional love and ability to understand you when maybe no one else can. Um, so I just hope that we can really share that information and spread that awareness and, and use it as a way to help people connect with people too. Because I don't think it's as simple as connecting with an animal. You know, people should be just finding connections everywhere. And I think that's the key to creating a more compassionate society. Unbelievable. That, that I, most perfect advice I think I've heard in a really long time. I mean, that story gave me chills truly, but, um, Nicole, like that, this has been a, a really, really awesome, wonderful hour speaking with you. Um, that, it is. It's about it's about building a connection with. I mean, you have your one man ticker tape parade. Every time you come home, you have something to live for. You have something that's positive around you all the time that you show love, and it shows you love back. But then it isn't about everybody's individual island. It's about spreading that awareness and compassion because your heart is changed. Um, so thank you. I really can't thank you enough for sharing all of your, everything about Red Rover, but everything about what the organization means to you and your compassion and your passion for life and for empathy and everything. So um, I hope for our listeners, this has been um, eye-opening and please, please support Red Rover at redrover.org. You can find them, share them, like them, volunteer, all of the above. Um, thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you for being a part of the compassionate life please join dr Brittany king again next tuesday at 3 p.m pacific time and 6 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel this week how will you leave your compassionate mark on the world